As healthcare workers returned home in 2014 and 2015 from fighting the Ebola epidemic in Western Africa, actions by state governments to prevent potential spread of the disease ran the gamut, from mandatory monitoring to travel bans and quarantine. These measures raised the question, is the nation prepared to ethically respond to public health emergencies? Welcome to Ethically Sound, a podcast of the Presidential Commission for the Study of Bioethical Issues. I'm Hilary Wakay-Viers. Today, we're talking to Dr. Barbara Atkinson, a member of the Bioethics Commission and founding dean of University of Nevada, Las Vegas School of Medicine. But first, let's hear from Dr. Trish Henwood, president and co-founder of the PURE Initiative. I treated more than 100 Ebola patients while working in Liberia. I quietly cried in my face mask and goggles while holding the hand of a child as they took their last breath in the same treatment unit where their parents and siblings died one by one over the previous week. Often touted as heroes while working in West Africa, at times myself and many of my colleagues felt like pariahs once we were back in the United States. Navigating the vague and varied restrictions put in place by local public health agencies, at times it felt more challenging to coordinate my return home than to actually do the Ebola-related work in Liberia. What did the words prolonged periods mean? Did the requirement to avoid congregate gatherings include a grocery store or my office? Though asymptomatic, I chose to spend time with only a few people during my 21-day monitoring. This was not driven by fear of making my friends, family, and colleagues sick, but rather my concern that my siblings, nieces, or parents would be sent home from work or from school because they were visiting with me. Faced with the potential employment and personal burdens imposed by unnecessary quarantines and movement restrictions, healthcare workers are less able to fight outbreaks like Ebola at their source. That only serves to hamper our collective efforts to control the spread of epidemics and to help save lives at home and abroad. That was Dr. Trish Henwood, president and co-founder of the PURE Initiative, which examines the use of -of point-of-care ultrasounds in resource-limited environments. The Ebola epidemic that spread through three countries in Western Africa in 2014 was the worst on record, claiming more than 10,000 lives. As the crisis deepened, public anxiety and demand for action mounted around the world. Like Dr. Henwood, healthcare workers from the U.S. and other countries traveled to the affected regions to set up clinics and train local providers. Scientists furiously began to work on a vaccine. When the first case of Ebola was diagnosed in the United States, governments began implementing measures to protect the health of the public, instituting travel bans and quarantining healthcare workers returning from fighting the Ebola epidemic. In some cases, these movement restrictions were not scientifically grounded. Consequently, some of the proposed and enacted state quarantine policies were ineffective and overly restrictive. Fear of infection led to discrimination, with people in America who had ties to the affected countries being told to take yourself back to Africa with your Ebola virus. The response to the Ebola outbreak demonstrated the need for integrating ethics into preparedness planning before the next epidemic. 
In February 2015, the Bioethics Commission released Ethics and Ebola, Public Health Planning and Response, in which it clearly stated that the U.S. has an ethical responsibility to prepare for and respond to global public health emergencies. The Commission urged policymakers and public health officials to integrate ethics into decisions made in response to rapidly unfolding epidemics. Specifically, it called on governments and public health organizations to use the least restrictive measures on personal liberties necessary on the basis of the best available scientific evidence. It also included recommendations aimed at mitigating the stigmatization and discrimination associated with public health emergencies. You can download Ethics and Ebola, Public Health Planning and Response, and all the Commission's reports at bioethics.gov. Here today to talk about the Ethics and Ebola Report is Bioethics Commission member and founding dean of University of Nevada Las Vegas School of Medicine, Dr. Barbara Atkinson. Dr. Atkinson, welcome to Ethically Sound. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. The Bioethics Commission heard from U.S. healthcare workers who, when they returned from fighting the Ebola epidemic in Western Africa, were placed under quarantine, travel bans, and other restrictions. As you deliberated restrictive public health measures, what were some of the factors that you and fellow commission members considered? You can ethically um, restrict people, uh, quarantine them, for instance, uh, if there's a potential harm to others. Uh, But you have some duties if that's the case. So there are a variety of factors to look at, but you want to be sure to just use the least restrictive measure um, and to be sure that there's scientific evidence to show that, that it's necessary. And, and really that was the take home from, from um, the Ebola epidemic was that there was no evidence that if a person was asymptomatic that, that there was any reason to restrict them. The virus isn't spread until after symptoms occur. Other viruses, that might not be the case, or other bacteria, that might not be the case. But in this one, it was uh, well known. What happened to seem to be that the people who were uh, making the decisions at a state level were really responding to the fear of the public. They really weren't responding to the scientific facts of the matter. The public was very, very worried about the the lethal nature of this virus, and so they uh, responded in a political way, which was to segregate people and. One of the nurses that we um, discussed actually was put in a tent at the uh, Newark airport for a few days, and then she was going back home to Maine, and the Maine governor uh, quarantined her for 21 days. Uh, Totally unnecessary on both fronts. Not that you don't want to be careful, but what happens when you do things like that is it causes other people to decide they don't want to be a nurse that goes and takes care of people who have Ebola um, because they would then know not only would they be away from their families during the time when they're actually treating patients, but they would have another uh, another three weeks of quarantine after that. So it, there are a variety of factors that have to be considered, and this was not uh, one that was handled particularly well. What role did lessons from the history of epidemics, such as the HIV-AIDS pandemic, play in influencing the Bioethics Commission's analysis and recommendations? So we 
we actually did consider other epidemics and what happened with them. One of the things with the HIV AIDS epidemic was that there was a travel and immigration ban that was placed on anybody coming into the United States who was known to have HIV or AIDS. Once a regulation like that gets put in place, it takes a long time to get it removed. And that ban wasn't lifted until 2010, which was long after there was good treatment for HIV AIDS. So one of the things, again, it was fear that really caused people to, to decide to do a ban like that, but there was no reason to think that a travel ban actually does anything to prevent d disease spread. TB is another one that's been a long time issue in the United States. There used to be TB sanitariums where people went to, to try to recover. Part of it was the recovery, but part of it was keeping the people away from, from others. Now people that can't be, um, can't be guaranteed to protect their families and, and the general public can be quarantined. But in general, there's good treatment for TB. You just have to convince the patient to actually take the antibiotics um, that are necessary. So in general, uh, it's rarely used as a quarantine. But it, de it just demonstrates the fear factor in, in all of the epidemics. And I think we're seeing a little of that now as we actually are dealing with the Zika virus. That that that's the newest one to come along. It's not lethal in the same way that that the others have been, but it's lethal to the to fetuses in some cases. And so people are still trying to understand the science of Zika. Um, but I think this report is very uh, good as a as a roadmap for how to handle the communications and the uh, response to to this virus as well. How did your background as a doctor influence your thinking on this issue? I think it really made me go back to the scientific basis of, of the illnesses. You know, every one of these epidemics is very different. The way it's transmitted is different. The, the outcome is different. And whatever the public health response is, it has to first deal with the real um, facts of the issue, and that didn't happen well. Sometimes it doesn't happen well because the facts aren't known at the time um, of the start of an epidemic, but once they're known, then the remedies have to match the facts. And Ebola had actually been around for quite a long time in Africa. There had been other uh, epidemics that had been cured basically in other countries. So people did know uh, how it was transmitted and that it's only transmitted by, by um, touching fluids that, that come from a patient who's actively um, infected. It just was very frustrating as a physician that there wasn't better uh, information coming out that really would communicate the risk or the lack of the risk. Uh, there were surveys done that showed that the public was very worried uh, about, about it and were actually worried that their families might actually get Ebola and the chances of that scientifically were minuscule. And I, I just hope that with new epidemics as it goes forward that we get better communication right at the beginning and that it's uh, more continuous and that then we can convince people to believe it because I think that's always the hard part is you can communicate, but if people aren't listening, it's difficult.
You've already touched on Zika, but how can the Bioethics Commission's report be used to inform the response to current and future public health emergencies? I think it has, uh, it lays out the, the real ethical pieces that need to be considered. It lays out communication, communication, and communication first. Then the scientific basis for, for the epidemic, and then the ethical issues to be considered. The, and, and those really are um, the harm principle, the principle of least infringement, the principle of beneficence and non-malfeasance, reciprocity, and justice and fairness. And if you really look at the definitions of each of those, and you think about how it can be related to, to what needs to be done in any particular epidemic, then I think you have the framework for how to go about handling it. It's important to think about the ethical issues really before uh, an epidemic happens. And if there's, and it's really a global um, issue at this point too, that if we know that there's an epidemic starting somewhere in the world, it's time to start finding a vaccine for it the minute we know it first is occurring. And that didn't happen with Ebola. Ebola, as I said, had been around quite a while and we hadn't really begun uh, working on a vaccine for it until recently. And now luckily there's vaccines and trials for both Ebola and Zika. Zika was one that did get started early, um, but the planning for how to communicate it and for what to do to protect the public uh, has to start really at the very first sign of, of any new epidemic. And I think um, that's starting to happen better than it used to. Dr. Atkinson, thanks for being with us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Ethically Sound, a podcast of the Presidential Commission for the Study of Bioethical Issues. Thank you for joining us. You can check out our full series online at bioethics.gov.